welcome to episode number 13 of the Bouncing Back podcast with me, James Middleton. It's been a little while, it's been a little while, but I am so glad to be back here sitting in front of the microphone ready to talk to you in another episode. I took a little break from everything. I've been away, those of you who follow me on social media would have seen, I've been away for some time just to escape and relax and unwind because I realized that I hadn't had a proper day off or proper time off for about two and a half years where I just completely switched off and it's something that I always talk about and advise people to do you know taking rest and relaxation because you need those things to enable peak performance but never quite applied it to myself properly so hence why there's been a little bit of a break between the last episode and this episode but I'm excited to be kicking things off again and in today's episode I'm going to be discussing everything about self-confidence, improving self-confidence as well as staying resilient and actually resilience is a component of self-confidence but I'll come into talking about that in the podcast. In terms of what we're going to discuss or what I'm going to discuss and talk about with you is what self-confidence actually is and why I believe it's a skill that we can improve and grow, how we go about improving it and why it's so important we do things that contribute to building self-confidence and then I'm going to come on to talking about resilience and how it's a combination of both nature and nurture and why I don't believe it's fixed and something that we can grow and then I'm going to talk about the four key psychological assets that resilient people or people that I have studied and researched who I believe to be very resilient people have and hold and the reason for this topic is because I had a lot of you messaging me saying not only James when's the next podcast when's the next podcast which is awesome it it kind of filled me with excitement when I was away knowing that I was coming back and had lots of you waiting for another episode but I had a lot of you also messaging me And I get it on a daily basis saying, James, can you talk about self-confidence and how I can build it? And and I know it's something that a lot of people are conscious of trying to improve and hence why I thought this would be a great topic for this episode. Now, back when I was playing rugby, I used to think that the most important thing to succeed as a rugby player were elements of my game, like my passing, my tackling, my kicking my vision on the pitch, my fitness and my strength in the gym to take on to the pitch. And I spoke to my coach before one of the biggest games of my life. It was a, a, a cup final at Twickenham. And I said to him, coach, I'm ready. I've been practicing and practicing and practicing. My passing is good. My kicking has never been better. My defense is good. I'm ready. I'm ready for this. Is there anything else I need to think about before the game? Now he turned to me and he said, James, all of this is great, but at your level, everyone should be good at these things. Self-confidence is what counts. That's what will separate you from the rest. Without that skill, and I think he used the word skill intentionally here, without that skill, you are useless as a rugby player. And he was right. When you lose sight or belief in yourself, you're done for in any sport, in fact, in any field for that matter. Now, Forbes.com says, confidence is the outcome of the thoughts that we think and the actions we take. 
The definition of self-confidence that I like to use is the ability or the belief to believe in yourself to accomplish any task, no matter the odds, no matter the difficulty, no matter the adversity. That's the definition that I like. It's the belief that you can accomplish something. That is self-confidence to me. The amount of times when coaching my clients, I've heard, James, I don't have self-confidence, I'm so shy, I don't like my body, I'll never be able to stand on a beach in swim shorts or a bikini and feel confident in myself, I'll never be able to do it. And they start to drag themselves all the way down to the ground. Now I like to refer to self-confidence as a skill, just like my then rugby coach did, because I believe you can train and build it up. There's no magic formula. I can't sit here and say, I'll take on the best chess player in the world. I'm confident I can beat them. It doesn't quite work like that. A key thing, a key thing, repetition, repetition, repetition. That is what it's about. You've probably heard of the 10,000 hour rule that a guy called Malcolm Gladwell talks about. This number I think is arbitrary. There have been studies to show that it's not necessarily 10,000 hours and things like age and genetics play a role, but the concept is still evidently strong and it's something I truly believe in. When I first started off talking on social media, making videos and talking to the camera, I was absolutely terrible. I couldn't look at the camera. I said um and like every other word. I waffled, I didn't know what to do with my hands. Same with my very first email I ever wrote to my close family and friends as part of my daily email list. It was woeful, absolutely woeful. The very first PT session I gave to my first client, crap, crap. But with each of these practices, I did just that. I did them again and again and again. I created videos every single day, practiced talking in front of the camera, even if I didn't publish them. I just practiced talking in front of the camera. I wrote about topics and ideas every day to send to my family and friends and the quality of my emails got better and better and the audience numbers then grew and grew. The quality of my PT sessions grew and grew because I practiced and I practiced even for free on my family members or my mum and my brother. I remember I would go home on the weekends and I'd just say I just want to run through a couple of things with you for 20 minutes that I'm going to take on with my clients next week. Can I just practice with you? And some clients... I would do it for free just so I can improve. Repetition, repetition, repetition. And with that, my self-confidence grew too. I could see improvements. I could see myself becoming better. I was taking on board feedback and using it to continuously grow in all these different areas. Of course, if you keep repeating the same mistakes and you don't take on board feedback and analyze yourself, that repetition becomes a waste of time. The practice has to be good practice, people forget that. There's no point in practicing mistakes again and again and again and not improving. But I go back to that point, there's no magic formula to growing self-confidence. So don't think that it's gonna just one day turn up and magically arrive. The problem is we expect to be self-confident, but we can't be unless the skill or the tasks we're doing are not new to us. We wanna be in a situation where we've created or we've had to deal with pressure in doing something. Because pressure builds diamonds, right? We wanna be in a situation where we're saying, hey, I've done this a thousand times, I've practiced my speech in front of the mirror for weeks and I'm sounding great, I know what I'm saying pretty much by heart, 
but then I go and practice it in front of some friends and family in a room and oh gosh, man, I'm nervous. Now I've forgotten some of it. I can't think clearly. Oh, what was that thing at the end? But you go again, you practice in front of your family again, then more friends, then an audience of 30 people, then a larger audience, two, 300 people, then a thousand, then 2000, again and again and again. You're now a confident public speaker and 5,000 people is nothing to you. I don't have a single ounce of nervousness because of my ability to practice right over and over and over again. The amount of times I hear people say, no, I can't public speak. It's the one thing, it's the one thing I can't do. Can't do it. No, I guarantee you, if you practice in front of the mirror, if that person practice in front of the mirror, then in front of the family, then their friends, then more friends, and the numbers grew and grew, they would become a comfortable and confident public speaker. The problem, the big problem with repetition is how many of us bail after the first bit of failure. That is a massive problem. So many of us bail after that first bit of adversity or challenge that we face. People public speak once, for example, get super nervous, overwhelmed, mess it up, and label themselves as someone who cannot ever public speak again. But it's nonsense. It's absolute nonsense. Of course you can. You've just quit at the first hurdle. Look at Thomas Edison, for example, creator of the light bulb. I mean, it depends who you ask, but he failed, let's say, I think around a thousand times before getting it right. A thousand times. And there's you failing once and giving up. Just think about that. Next time something doesn't work for you, you go again until you get it right. Another example, JK Rowling. She took her Harry Potter draft, right? I think to 12 or 13 publishers who all laughed at her. Now, I'm a pretty confident guy, but after two or three no's, I'd be like, oh, maybe I should do something else. After seven or eight, definitely right, this is, this is not for me, this is not for me. After 10 or 12, sorry, 10 or 11, I'd probably burn the book and become a gardener or, or anything but an author. 12 times someone rejected her and her book, but she kept coming back, she kept editing it and editing it and making the book better every time. And now look where she is. So do not accept failure. And perhaps actually, this isn't entirely about repetition. Perhaps this is about persistence and resilience, which I'll come on to. Because anyone can repeat something, but not a lot of people really persist. So I think persistence is also one key path into building self-confidence. You have to get out there, go and do what you wanna do, and don't accept no for an answer. Another component I think is fundamental in building self-confidence is self-talk. It's so important as a frame of building it. We all have that ongoing voice in our head that's commentating on every single thing we do throughout our whole life. As a man, you know, you might slip on some nice sexy Calvins and look in the mirror, but there's that voice saying, mate, you need to put on some muscle, man. It's pathetic. Look how skinny those legs are. Or as a woman, perhaps you can try on a new bikini before holiday. And the voice is saying, right, babe, we need to do something about that bit of flab on the side of your hips. I have it. Everyone has it. Yet there are enough damn people 
in this world out there telling us that we can't do it, that we're not good enough. Why do we then want to tell ourselves that? That we're not good enough, strong enough, sexy enough, smart enough. We know for a fact that our thoughts influence our actions. So we need to take control of those thoughts and let that voice inside our head know that we are in control of it. Don't for one second let it overpower you. Or at least if it does overpower you, don't let it do it for too long. Yes, from time to time it pipes up, that's normal. It's not about eliminating that voice completely because that's impossible. We're human, we're human beings. It's always gonna be there. And you'll wind yourself up actually trying to do so. But it's about taking control of it as much as you can. Your thoughts dictate your actions, your actions dictate your feelings, and your feelings govern your mood. Affirmations, another thing, self-affirmations. Say them out loud. I won't lie. Affirmations, they're not going to suddenly have you climbing Everest or building multi-million pound businesses, just like that. But they will certainly help encourage positive thoughts in your head. And that's a good place, in my mind, to start for anyone. Remember I spoke about gratitude as well. Even writing gratitude lists down daily helps enormously with this. But positive affirmations. Look in the mirror and give yourself the pep talk you need. Tell yourself, I'm happy, I'm smart, I'm sexy, I'm intelligent, I'm capable of doing anything I set my mind to. And don't half-arse it when you say it, okay? Because your brain knows when you don't really believe it and you know when you don't really believe it fully believe it when you say it mean it with every inch of your body and i know this might sound a bit cliche and this might sound a bit american and you know believe in yourself tell yourself you know i'm not i'm not saying that i'm not going down that route you might at the start think talking to yourself in the mirror this is stupid james is talking absolute nonsense this is this is total bollocks but who cares i have no shame in admitting i do this when i feel i need to get a grip of my life and step up because it works, it honestly works. If you don't say those things, if you don't believe in yourself, then who the hell will? You've got no chance, it has to start from within you. And a simple thing to do is by talking to yourself in the mirror and having words with yourself in the mirror. Because all you have in this world is yourself. Yes, you may have family, you've got friends, maybe even pets, but you can't rely on these. You don't ever want to be reliant on external factors. It has to start from within you, deep inside you. All you've got is yourself. And if you have that mindset, the mindset that it's just you and you're responsible for how you feel and for what you do in your life, you will start to practice developing that inner confidence, that inner self-belief. You will start doing things, putting yourself out into the world, not scared of failure because you're so hungry to grow as a person and succeed and know that the only person you can rely on is yourself and on those external factors remove yourself from anyone or anything that will tear you down get rid of negative energy in your life negative people drainers it's so important to do this I don't care if that's a member of your family or your best mate if they're bringing you down you need to step away and close that chapter and be selfish about it you have to be selfish with this because you're number one. There's enough of that in the world. There's enough negativity in the world. There's enough drainers in the world and it's best that you stay away from it and surround yourself with positive and high energy people because these are the people who are gonna support you and only help you with your own confidence about who you are and 
what you stand for. When Muhammad Ali, someone who I've read a lot about, I've watched clips on, I am a big fan of, throughout his career, he repeated all the time, I am the greatest, there is no one better than me. I'm sorry, that was was a woeful impression. (laughs) But you get the drift. He said, I am the greatest, there is no one better than me. And he said that all the time. There is a, there's a difference between hubris and ego and false pride, but that difference is reminding yourself in the quiet, silent moments. Ali said this all the time in public, but I bet my life that he was also telling himself this quietly in his bedroom while shadow boxing in front of the mirror. And speaking of bedroom, I have a list in my bedside drawer, right, of all the things that make me who I am and what I'm proud of. And when I'm having a tough day or I'm not feeling too good, maybe even a tough few days, I'll take this list out and read it. And I wrote this list or this letter, if you like, at a time when I was feeling on top of the world and feeling good about myself and applauding the achievements I had made so far in my life. Because I've made enough mistakes in my life, I've received enough messages on social media and read enough about me in places to recognise that as soon as people see me make a mistake, they pounce on it, just like a lot of people in the the public eye for me not so much but if you look at these celebrities you know every time they put a foot wrong boom, suddenly the world pounces on them and they try to tear these people down I've had it as well people have tried to tear me down and there was a time in my life when my confidence was rock bottom I'd broken up with my then girlfriend I wasn't enjoying my job I was still grieving over a loved one who I'd lost and nothing seemed to be going the way I wanted it to in my life So I got this letter that I wrote to myself when things were going well, almost like a a self-bragging sheet. And I had to read it time and time again for a period of about a week, maybe longer actually, two weeks, just to help me get through this dip and weather the storm. I read through all the things I was proud of to remind my then deflated, low self-esteem version of me that I had so much to be happy for and proud of. There are moments, and we all experience them, in areas of our life, from relationships to jobs to finances, whatever it is, when we are not feeling good about who we are, about what we're doing and where we're going. Every single person on this planet experiences this. It's so important that when we do go through these periods, that we stop the negative self-talk as soon as we can, and we try to switch our minds over to positive thinking. And that doesn't just happen, like that takes practice. But for me, my little self-bragging sheet helps me do this. And you may have your own little thing going on that you turn to, but if you don't, try next time you're feeling great and on top of the world, writing it all down on a piece of paper, what you're proud of, and keep it somewhere safe so you can read it when you need to bring yourself back up. And that's another thing. We are so hard on ourselves. We are our own worst critic. So celebrate the times where you're feeling on top of the world and everything's going well and life is amazing. Write down how you feel because it's so good to have that in your locker or in a drawer to, to read when you're down because it works. It will bring you back up. Everyone has their own little turn to. Some people get tattoos. Some people wear bands with writing on them. Lance Armstrong, for example, not a great example now, but you know he had his Livestrong band. But find something that works for you. Now I'm a coach, so I want 
all my clients to train well, to eat well, to be happy with themselves, develop good habits, a strong mindset. In fact, I started this podcast initially, not initially, still, to help people understand their own self better and get a glimpse into some of the things we can all be doing to help our personal development and develop a a great, strong mindset. But going back to my clients, feedback tells my clients and tells me when my clients slip up or go wrong or hinder their progress. Feedback tells each of us when we go wrong. But as a coach, what do I do? I provide constructive feedback. So as an example, Linda. Linda is the example. I don't think I actually have a client called Linda. I don't know why I chose Linda, but let's roll with it. Linda, this is what you've done well, and this is where you went wrong. This is what you need to do to rectify the mishaps, and this is how I suggest you go and do it. Break it down, step by step. I'm not demoralizing Linda's confidence. What I'm doing is building it up again by breaking things down, identifying the mistakes, and working with her to rectify them and progress forward. Now imagine, imagine, I just had a thought, imagine how great every parent could be if they took this approach with their kids. Instead of shouting, Johnny, get your dirty feet off that table, what's wrong with you? If we catch them, if we catch little Johnny with his dirty feet on the table, instead, why don't say this, Johnny, you know you're not allowed to put your feet on the table, it's for glasses only. Little Johnny then takes his feet off the table, thank you for taking them off. We forget, right, I know that's a trivial example, pluck that out of thin air, Um, (laughs) we forget though that we are all educators, whether you're a coach training clients or you're a parent training your kids, if we manage to praise the positive while also correcting the negative, we're catching the individual whilst they're good, but also showing them where the improvements can be made. And studies have found that by providing feedback in an environment that also focuses on the positive, enables the student or whoever the subject is, little Johnny, to process that feedback in a much more powerful way and is more likely to then go away and remember what it was and therefore better it for next time. We forget that as humans, we often interpret things the way we want to interpret them depending on how we're feeling, not how they are presented to us in an absolute way. So if our confidence is rock bottom, when presented with feedback, even if most of it is positive, if there's anything negative in there, our eyes will turn to that and fixate on that. This is why it's important to be conscious of this with any kind of feedback you're giving to someone, client, child, whoever. It always has to be constructive. Otherwise, particularly if said person is lacking confidence, you'll never get them to improve. And from the person receiving the feedback's point of view, make sure that you try to separate emotion from reality because it can also work the opposite way. You might be on an absolute high and someone gives you some constructive feedback to improve, but you don't care because your confidence is booming and all you're focused on is the positives. They say that we're actually at our most vulnerable when we're at the top. Now, I've gone down a little bit of a rabbit hole here, but it's all relevant stuff, I believe. But if you could, but if I could give you, sorry, one thing to take away from all of this, no one will believe in you unless you do. And there's a quote from Steve Jobs, the famous one that he said, you know, here's to the crazy ones, the misfits, the rebels, the troublemakers, 
the round pegs and square holes, the ones who see things differently. We're supposed to be different. Don't try and fit in. Try and stand out and be unapologetically yourself all the time. And people look at us, people are looking at us all the time. So make sure that you believe in yourself and it has to come from that first. If you don't truly believe in yourself deep down, building that self-confidence is gonna be very, very challenging for you. And like I said, it takes time, it takes work. Like anything in life, it's not just gonna happen overnight. You have to practice it day in, day out. Talk to yourself in that mirror as much as you can and drill it into your mind because your mind doesn't know the difference sometimes between thoughts and reality. So if you can control those thoughts and if you can get that voice inside your head as positive as possible, constantly bigging you up, and not in a false way, because again, your body, your mind and, and yourself, you know when it's not true, but really believing in yourself and doing things and practicing things and getting that feedback and seeing yourself progress and grow, then you are gonna start building that self-confidence. Another thing which I briefly actually touched on about just then is being unapologetically yourself. If you don't reveal yourself to others, your true self, you cannot reveal yourself to yourself. I'm gonna say that again. If you don't reveal yourself to others, your true self, you cannot reveal yourself to yourself. This not only means that you suppress who you are, it also means that you are hiding. And those who hide are usually the ones who life make disappear completely. Hiding also doesn't save you from things like death, disease, insanity, paying taxes. Hiding from others also means suppressing and hiding the potentialities of the unrealized self. We're getting a bit deep here, but stay with me. Hiding from others also means suppressing and hiding the potentialities of the unrealized self. And that is a major problem. It means that so much of what you could be will never be forced by necessity to come forward. And not only is this a conceptual truth, by the way, it's a biological one too. When you explore the world, when you put yourself out there, when you put yourself into uncomfortable situations, when you voluntarily confront and step into the unknown and you take risks, you gather information and you build up your renewed self out of that information. So that's the conceptual element of it. The biological element is this, and, and researchers have shown this, that new genes in the central nervous system turn themselves on when an organism is placed in a new situation. These genes, what they do is they then code for new proteins. And these proteins are the foundations of new structures formed in the brain. This means that a lot of people are still developing in the most physical of senses. And that inactivity, i.e. hiding and not coming forward, will serve no purpose in allowing you to grow. So there is like biological activity happening, like factual activity that's happening, science that is happening behind you putting yourself out there and you actually growing as a person. So you simply will not grow physically, mentally, if you suppress who you are and you don't fully reveal yourself. We're getting quite deep here and I'm getting quite analytical, but I think it's really important. And it's when I read about this, it was, it was such an insight because I think when there's science behind it and you can see there's actually physical connections happening inside of you, 
when putting yourself into these environments, you know that it's going to work. So I hope you're still with me. But I, I just find this all incredibly fascinating, you know, understanding the human character and our behavior. But essentially, going back to it, you have to say something, you have to get yourself out and do things to turn on that part of the brain that develops these new proteins and new structures in it. And if you don't, well, then you will remain incomplete. And life is far too hard for anything incomplete. So again, that is why you need to come forward and always be unapologetically yourself. Now, when it comes to resilience, moving on to resilience, you would have heard this word thrown around a bit, particularly if you ever hear successful people talk about their characteristics or for that matter, someone else talking about a successful person's characteristics, the word resilient is often featured. I also like the word grit. Again, you might hear he or she has grit and determination because as with self-confidence, resilience, I think is something that grows. But I question, I often find myself asking, questioning when discussing grit or resilience is how much of it is genetic and how much of it is down to the environment we grow up in and find ourselves living in. It's the classic nature-nurture debate. And actually, here's a fun fact for you. I wrote my dissertation in my final year of university on this topic, so it's something I'm hugely interested in. I digress. We know, so we know things like our height, for example, are determined by genetics, while other things like whether we speak English or Spanish are a result of our upbringing or experience. I think there is a short answer and a long answer to the question of whether resilience is in our DNA. The short answer is in part, but I'm not going to end the podcast there because I want to quickly explore the longer answer, which is in fact slightly more complicated. But one thing I can tell you now is that every human trait is influenced by both genes and experience. Now you might be thinking, but hold on a second, James, tell me how height is both genes and experience. Hold my beer. We know height is heritable, okay? But it's also true that the average height of men and women has increased considerably in just a few generations. Here's a fun fact for you. About 150 years ago, the average British man was five foot five inches. Tiny. Imagine the average man, five foot five. That is tiny. I'm six foot two, so that is small. Now, the average, I think, at the moment, nowadays, is five foot ten. So, again, I'm sitting here a little bit smug that I'm six foot two. Anyway, it's unlikely, it's unlikely that the gene pool has changed all that dramatically in that time. But instead, the most powerful height boosters have been things like nutrition, clean air and water, modern medicine, children provided with healthy food, and lots of it will grow up taller compared to those malnourished, which stunts growth. Similarly, traits like honesty and generosity and yes, grit or resilience are genetically influenced but are also influenced by experience. So where am I going with this? Well, I don't think resilience is fixed. Like every aspect of your psychological character, resilience is more plastic than you might think. In other words, it's something that you can grow and mold and shape. A lot of my clients, almost daily when we speak about resilience, ask me, how does that happen? Now you might be wondering at this stage the same thing. A lot of people come to me and they say they've never stuck at anything long enough to see proper results. 
it's probably one of the biggest things that I get. I, I haven't been able to stick to something long enough to achieve my goal. Or they desperately want a long-term goal and they want to pursue that goal with passion, grit, determination, all of those things, but they don't know where to begin. A good place to start is to understand where you are today, where you are right now. If you're not as resilient as you want to be, ask yourself why. The common answers I get usually are, I'm just not capable of sticking with things, I guess I'm just lazy. I just lack motivation to keep it up, James. Now I think all of these answers are wrong, by the way. When when people stop things or quit, they do so for a reason or a multitude of reasons. The effort isn't worth it, or I'm bored, or this isn't important to me, etc. Now, there's nothing wrong with thoughts like these. Everyone has them. Lots of people who have resilience also quit goals. But what I've come to realize is the higher the level of the goal in question, the more stubborn people are about seeing it through. And when I say higher goal, what I mean is if you were to write down 25 of your goals on paper, eliminate 20 of them so you're left with your top five. Get the other 20 out of your mind because they'll be just distractions and focus on those top five. Order them in priority and start with the top three. These are higher goals, singular, more focused goals that will enable you to not only have a higher chance of making progress to achieve them, but will be most important to you. So the likeliness is you'll have more grit getting there. Paragons of grit don't tend to swap compasses. When it comes to the one singularly most important aim that guides almost everything they do, the very resilient people out there tend not to mention any of the statements that I used as examples, such as the effort isn't worth it, I'm bored, this isn't important to me. And their their focus is so laser on those one, two, three top goals. It's a big problem with a lot of people and again, you might not even realize this until now when you've been listening to this, is people have too many goals down, written down on, on a piece of paper and their effort is spread across, let's say, seven, eight, nine, ten goals and they then don't have that focus and that grit for every single one of them because that requires a lot of energy. So whittle your goals down. It's one of the things I get my clients to do. Whittle your goals down to having one, two or three major ones that you can focus on and don't think about the rest for now because as humans we can only give so much focus and attention and we're better at giving focus attention to one thing at a time. It's the way we work. We are not built for multitasking. Our brain is not built for multitasking. So if you can focus on one, two or three, maybe even five if you're a little bit more special, (laughs) then that is going to give you a higher chance of keeping up that resilience and that grit to achieving those things. Now, I've done a bit of research on some of the psychological assets that people with high levels of grit and resilience have in common. And there are four key ones, I think, that are worth noting. And this is actually, and these these are in order of how commonplace they are amongst these individuals. The first is interest, interest. I've spoken in previous podcasts about passion and it being something that begins with 
intrinsically enjoying what you do. Now, every resilient person that I've studied can directly look at elements of their work which they enjoy less than others. And the majority have to put up with things to do which they don't enjoy at all. This goes back to that notion of successful people being very good at handling boredom and just getting on with it because they know it's part and parcel of success. However, these people are still captivated by the task as a whole, the process, the journey of getting there. They still sit there and say to themselves, I love what I do, no matter how much they don't enjoy some elements of it. And you're never gonna enjoy all elements of, of things that you'll do of getting to a goal. There are some things you just have to get through and do it, but the successful people, the people with high resilience, high grit, will always sit there and say, I love what I do. So keep that interest, that's number one, interest in what you're doing. The next is practice. A component of perseverance is the daily discipline of trying to do things better than we did them yesterday. It's kind of what drives me every single day. Every single day, I wanna just be a little bit better than I was yesterday, even if that's just by 1%. So once you've discovered an interest in a certain area, you have to devote yourself you have to dedicate and commit to practicing those skills in order to master it. And it's why I say to people, when it comes to training and exercise, do something that you enjoy. Don't do something because your mates are doing it or because this person on Instagram told you to do it. Do training that you enjoy. If you like lifting weights, lift weights. If you like doing yoga, do yoga. If you like spinning, do spinning. That comes under the interest part because if you're interested in it, then you are more likely to practice it again and again and again, and that is how you get better. Practicing over and over again, hours a day, weeks after months, after years. People often come to me after doing two or three months of my coaching and they say, James, why am I not seeing the results I want yet? It's been three months already, come on, what's going on? Honey, you've just said it, it's been three months. I don't actually call my clients honey, that was just for dramatic effect. But three months, three months in the grand scheme of things, that is nothing, it's nothing. I've been training for 12 years to get to where I am. So keep going, whatever it takes, you have to want to improve. And that comes with practice, but also, also actually resisting complacency. As soon as you become complacent, that's when you'll stop growing. No matter how good you are or think you are, you have always got to want to practice and improve. Look at the greatest sportsmen, athletes, businessmen at all time. No matter where they are, no matter how much success they've had, they have this drive to just continuously want to improve, even though they could sit back, retire, chill, probably not have to practice and still be great. So that's the second one, practice. The third is purpose. What develops passion is the belief that your work matters. For the majority, Interest without purpose is pretty much impossible to sustain for a lifetime. This is why it's fundamental that you see your work as both personally interesting, but also inherently connected to the well-being of others. For some, this sense of purpose develops early on, but for the majority, for the masses, the motivation to serve others grows after the development of interest and years of discipline practice. The bottom line is that your work has to be important, not just for yourself, but for serving others as well in some kind of manner, whatever form that is. And lastly, hope. Hope, I think, defines 
every stage of being resilient from the very start to the very end for me it is something i think you need to have throughout your whole life to learn to keep going even when things are tough even when we have doubts even when we see no light at the end of the tunnel because there always is at various stages in our life we get knocked down and at some point you will get knocked down it's inevitable if we stay down our resilience goes if we get up and rise to the challenge resilience prevails and it's the latter which will enable us to face anything that life throws at us and come out the other side triumphant and the more you do this the more you get back up and you go again and again and again and you start making progress and you start achieving things the more your self-confidence will grow so just to recap we spoke about what self-confidence is and why I believe it's a skill that we can improve and grow through repetition and constant practice in what we're doing. The only way you can grow self-confidence is by being your true self all the time, putting yourself out there and practicing again and again and again, no matter how many times you fail. Resilience. It's something every high achiever has, but it's not something that is fixed. It's a trait like self-confidence that grows through experiences, through failure, through going again and again and again, no matter what is thrown at you. If you have fewer but higher goals, you will not only have a better chance of making progress to achieve them, but you'll be more focused and they will be most important to you. So the likeliness is you'll have more determination and grit of getting there. And then finally, the four key psychological assets that resilient people have that I've noticed that I've put into this little group of words. Interest, you have to have interest. Practice, you've got to practice again and again and again. Find purpose in what you're doing and never, ever, ever give up hope. Be mindful of these and try to incorporate them in everything you do. Thank you so much for listening. Please, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, give my podcast a five-star rating if you enjoyed it because it helps push it up the charts so more people can listen, which is obviously the aim because I want to help as many people as possible. And if you guys are enjoying it, then I'm sure other people will as well. And by doing so, you guys made it go, you made my podcast go into the top 1% of podcasts in the world after just 11 episodes, I think, by doing so and by listening. So as long as you continue to listen, I will continue to talk but once again, thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed that episode. Of course, if you've got any questions about anything, feel free to drop me an email, a DM. Um, I love talking to you guys about everything and, and hearing your opinions. And of course, please share with your friends if you enjoyed this. If you enjoyed other episodes, share it on your socials. I love reposting. I love seeing who's listening. And that is all for today. So take care of yourself and I will see you at the next episode. Goodbye. Goodbye.